episode 106, Bill Ekstrom. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, it's Nikki back on Gut Plus Science. And today I'm here with Bill Ekstrom, who's the founder of Excel Institute, a global research-based organization that works with leaders to help them better understand, measure, and elevate coaching's impact on performance. Bill's primary passion is growth, especially how coaches and leaders impact the growth of performance of individuals and teams. Bill likes to challenge people to get outside comfort zones. He's going to share more about that today, but you can also find one of TEDx's most popular talks by Bill, which is why comfort will ruin your life. It's a good one. Check it out. Bill Ekstrom, welcome to Gut Plus Science. So this show gives insights for leaders on employee engagement, as I know you know. And we talk about how to think about employee engagement, how to measure it, how to build it into strategy, tactical move the needle practices, all of that. And we're building this community of leaders that support each other and giving all of these concepts and ideas. And when I have guests on the show, usually I'll ask the question, what is employee engagement or how do you define it? And most I would say 80% will include the term discretionary effort. So we hear that a lot. And today I'm really excited because our prep call that we had, you were really digging into discretionary effort. It came up a lot. And then you've got some awesome practices to really dive into unlocking that. And so we're going to do a deep dive today to help leaders understand what qualities and quantities, these are your terms that we get to dig in on, inspired discretionary effort. So I think I'll start with you and I'm going to say, okay, Bill, welcome to the show. Tell us, how do you define employee engagement and where does discretionary effort as a term come into that? Employee engagement, wow, this is really up your alley. And I I should be flipping the question back on you, but that would defeat the purpose of you asking me the question. What I'll say, it's, it's the relationship. And this is how I see it, the relationship between an organization and its employees. And discretionary effort is the amount of, and I'll I'll put this in a very simple context, it's the amount of extra hours, extra engagement, it's an extra phone call, it's the things that I provide or that a leader or coach obtains from me in order to promote growth. And I think the most simple example I could give you, Nikki, is let's say, let's role play for a second. Nikki, you lead a sales team and you go on vacation for a few days. Does your sales team continue working or do they take the day off? Oh, they wake up fired up every day. I mean, they they are, they're even doing more. <laughs> okay. So it, it, it's funny. We asked this question or I asked this question to thousands of people and they always respond the same way after they're done joking about it. But it's, yes, of course, that's that's their job. Whether I need IT sales, operations, it doesn't matter. My team, if I'm not there, works. Okay. Well, if that's the scenario, if that's indeed what happens, how much more do they work? How much more is produced with you in the role? I mean, you've already told me and you've proven they'll work without you there. So how much more gets done? How much more is produced with you there? 
if a sales team can produce $10 million of revenue without a coach or a leader, they better produce 12 or 14 with one. That delta, that, that gap is what we view as discretionary effort. That's awesome. Yeah. And Bill, you know, over time, I know that you're, you're big into science um, and we're in the show gut plus science, like we love data, but from, from a gut perspective, from just like how you think in your experiences, but also the data that you found, what are the key drivers to unlock discretionary effort? <laughs> it's, it's hard to answer that question, Nikki, without bringing the science into it. But everybody, first of all, has the opportunity to do it. And it's just that so few have ever been trained to do it. And so I'll touch on the gut aspect of it first, and then I'll, I'll get into the science. And I think the way to view this, and again, I'll continue to use sales as an example. I mean, they're just easy to use as an example because it's easy to measure the impact because they track everything. So if a, let's again, in a pseudo role play, Nikki, if, I am a sales manager and you're an executive VP of sales. And I report to you. I have salespeople report to me. I report to you. And I come to you, Nikki, and I say, hey, Nikki, I want to I produce more this year. I want my team to achieve more than they've ever produced. I want my team to be number one in the company in terms of, of sales generated. What do I, as a leader, need to do more of or even less of to get that done. And whenever we do this, Nikki, nobody can answer that question. So everybody believes the performance of a team is a reflection of how that team is coached, led, or managed, depending on the term you want to use. But nobody understands what I should do more of or less of. Now let's get to the science of it. And this is where your qualities and quantities thing comes in, right? Exactly. So when we look at our research, and we've researched over 100, now we're about 150,000 coaching interactions in the workplace. And we go, we take a deep dive of this, by the way, in our book, The Coaching Effect, and there's a nice little plug. When we take a look at those engagements and interactions between boss and employees, we find that there's four things leaders, or what we like to use the term coaches, do differently to create more discretionary effort. And those four key activities, now keep in mind, they do a lot of things, right? But in terms of correlating what I do to what creates discretionary effort, it is I have regular, consistent team meetings. I do career development plans with the people on my team. I hold consistent one-on-one -on -one meetings, and I provide written, objective feedback. So those activities have the strongest correlation to discretionary effort. And when I, when I say those, I'm sure you're probably thinking and others are thinking, well, gee, Bill, that's rocket science. Thanks so much for sharing the obvious. But here's where it falls, falls apart is while those things sometimes seem obvious, it's how often are you doing them? How well are you doing them? Are you spending 80% of your time with the bottom 20% of your of, of the people on your team. I mean, there's so many things you don't know about them. When we, when we research employees, or excuse me, when we, when we research leaders about their doing one-on-ones, most of them say, yes, I do one-on-ones with my people. Great. How often do you do them? Every other week. Great. Uh, how often do you actually make those? 
And here's what's interesting, Nikki. Leaders believe they hold their one-on-ones between 90 and 95% consistency. Guess what employees believe their bosses hold their one-on-ones with them? With what consistency? Below 50. Well said. Yeah, 40 to 45%. Think about that gap. And the thing is, the actual number, by the way, is is between 60 and 65%. So those items that create discretionary effort, while they're not revolutionary, nobody knows how often they're doing them or how well they're doing them. Let's begin. Let's begin a little bit. You know, so there's four of these right now, and we're talking about, um, in your terms from the book, four quantities of a leader that unlock discretionary effort. So the regular, consistent team meetings, the career development, the one-on-ones, and then the objective feedback. Let's hone in on two. So I'm going to have you pick two, and then we're gonna we're gonna dig a little bit here. And I've got a first question for you. Which two you want to pick? We'll pick uh, feedback and one-on-ones. Those, those two have the highest correlation to discretionary effort. Those two have the highest. Well, I'm glad you're picking those. Great. And you come from the, the measurement standpoint. I love it. So let's go ahead on one-on-ones. And I would love for you to start with many of the practices that you see that do not work, that many listeners right now, they're probably doing them. They think they're working, but that, that big gap in how employees, their team members are embracing it or get the productivity or the success they're getting out of them is not there. What are the typical like bad habits that we need to break and then shift into the best practices? First of all, that's a great question, Nikki. And what's interesting is we do have that information. The the biggest complaint people have about having one-on-one meetings with their boss is all my boss wants to talk about are you fill in the blank. Guess what? Results. Yep. The numbers. That's that's my one-on-one meetings. It's really a review of my pipeline. Nothing that, that my boss couldn't get, my manager coach couldn't get from the CRM. They just want to talk about results. Here's what's interesting. The most, the most critical component, when we think of quality of coaching now, the most critical component, the baseline, the foundation for, for growth and performance is relationship. And one-on-one meetings, the biggest sin we see within those is the manager, the coach is not using them to further or perpetuate a relationship. That's the biggest mistake within one-on-ones. The way they should be done is there should be a connectivity, a, a way to build trust to further relationship within each one. We call them personal updates. And as simple as it sounds, You'd be shocked at the number of people who don't use a one-on-one to just take the time to say, hey, how was your weekend? How's that new puppy working out? How are Jackson's soccer games this week? That's really, that's needed in all of those. Because one of the things that we measure is really, you know, does does my manager care about me? as a person and not just an employee or does my, you know, that question has one of the strongest correlations to growth performance, discretionary effort. So anyway, I, I apologize. I kind of got on a roll there. 
No, I think that's great. And I just want to add here that from like a quantifiable perspective or just uh, a standard, and I'd love to get your feedback, Bill. We recently had Todd Richardson on. He's the CEO of Edge Mentoring, and he was really digging into the power of one-on-ones and um, humanizing your relationship between the leader and the team member. And he said, I always have at least 50% of my time on relationship building. So if it's a 30-minute meeting, 15 minutes of our time is on relationship building. If it's an hour, 30 minutes, you know, so correlating, you know, half of this time is, is not about the blocking and tackling the, you know, the next steps and, you know, results, but really cultivating relationship. I'm curious your thoughts on that. I would agree with Todd to some degree. I think it's situational. If I sit down with a member on my team and I can look in their face and know they're exasperated, I'm not talking about, Hey, let's, let's talk about what you produce this week. Let's talk about the communications you've had with our clients. I'm going to look at this person in the eye and say, hey, what's going on in your world right now? And depending on how they respond, I have spent literally 50 out of 60 minutes in a one-on-one talking about challenges with children in somebody's household. I spent 60 out of 60 minutes in a one-on-one talking about business issues because it's situational. As a rule, I think about 10 minutes out of 60, maybe 15 minutes out of 60 need to be dedicated to one on or to personal updates, relationship building, types of questions and probing, but it's situational. So it really depends on the time. Thank you for sharing that. And let's transition into the written objective feedback. That's how you called that um, specifically. So I want to I want to talk about just practices that you typically see. I'm going to say with feedback in, in in general. That is, you know, things we need to break, bad habits. But then let's tr- have you transition into best practices around the written objective feedback. Well, so I'm I'm differentiating this from just feedback period because feedback should be woven into the fabric of any relationship between boss and employee. Feedback should be, um, when I say woven in the fabric, it should be natural. It should be, it should always be there. It should not be so, always so formal that, okay, um, that means I have to sit down. No, feedback should always be there. And, And that needs to look and take on more of a form of questions than anything else. Holding that aside, one of the things we see is in terms of driving discretionary effort is that the the best coaches, the best leaders, they do this quarterly. They sit down and provide written documented feedback quarterly. And what's interesting to me is people's aversion to doing this. I mean, this it, feedback in a business setting, and I'm not talking about annual reviews, by the way, I'm not a fan of them. I'm I've never heard anybody get stunned with a 360 and says, hey, I feel great about how that went. To me, feedback should be ongoing, you know, woven in, done almost daily. Documented feedback needs to be done a minimum of quarterly. So any elite performer, whether it's in the world of sport or whether it's in fine arts, there's always some sort of feedback loop. In athletics, it's called game film. And it's not even just game film, it's practice film. You know, I've worked with collegiate athletes and coaches. And what's interesting to me is in practice, they film everything, Nikki. If it's a diver, 
even just a practice dive is filmed. And that is their feedback. But yet in business, we're saying, hey, do this quarterly. Give them some semblance of how their, how their growth, how their progress to goal is, but it's not done. So it should be quarterly, it should be written, and it should be really refined. When I say refined, is the only things we should be grading or, or analyzing are people's progress within their skill set. And I'm not talking just progress to go. I'm talking about growth within their skill set. So does that make sense? Yeah, a lot. And I'd love to know outside of the quarterly written, very thorough, objective feedback uh, system that you teach, talk about touches of feedback, especially, you know, during the times of like challenging times, like we're in the middle of a pandemic, doesn't look like that's ending anytime soon. Many people are working in very different environments and just different uh, emotional responses to work right now. Talk about the the feedback touches, maybe even call it recognition in the in between those quarterly thorough feedback sessions. Interesting question. So when we think of feedback, we think of it more as a, a response to something. So, and what you're bringing up now is the challenge that leaders face because they don't have the opportunity to see it, to be a part of it, and 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 to be able to stop some by somebody's office. If I hear overhear a phone call between, say, a salesperson and a client or a prospect. I have the opportunity to stick my head in and say, hey, when you were on that call, I heard you ask this question. How did the prospect respond? Oh, good. How did you feel about the response? Is that is that the kind of response you wanted to evoke? No. Well, it really was and da-da-da-da-da or it wasn't. Okay, well, how would you do that differently next time? See, that's spontaneous feedback. Work from home changes that equation drastically. and. Yeah, which is a huge issue. I mean, you and I could spend another hour on that topic in and of itself. But in terms of feedback, there's something, and this isn't really feedback, but in terms of things I do given the pandemic, for example, we were looking at some of our highest performing clients. And again, while well, I use that term, meaning those that created the greatest discretionary effort. And early on, on in the pandemic, leaders were checking in on the people on their teams daily. All, uh, most of them, between three to five days a week, they were making a phone call. And keep in mind, this was not to check in on business practices or progress. It was simply, hey, how you doing? Did your wife get furloughed? You know, whatever that, whatever it was, there was a personal check-in call almost every day. Those have to continue. Daily, no. I think we've hit a point now where People are beyond the chaos and they're more in a state of order or complexity. So I think those calls need to occur and feedback can uh, has to occur in other ways. And it has to be just through a line of questioning. Tell me about your day. Tell me about you said you had a call at one o'clock. How did that call go? And just start to probe and ask questions. So the feedback has to occur differently now. Yeah, thank you for touching on that because I think a very thorough, written, objective uh, form of feedback, which I think you've got some templates for and best practices both in your book and some other resources that you could share with folks is so needed on a quarterly basis for that very thorough feedback loop, right? But I think right now more than ever – 
lots of touches. And like, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's an everyday thing, but a couple times a week, like really checking in and psychological safety right now is very challenged. And when we're not psychologically safe and in what we're doing for work, we're not going to bring that discretionary effort because we're kind of paralyzed and, you know, where to even go from here. So just wanted to, you know, hone in on that point. And I'd love to shift into, I was just so intrigued by your verbiage around discretionary effort, having both qualities and quantities. So I still want to get to that. We talked about four quantities, which you're saying are what we just shared, and we can really measure those. And then we've got qualities of a leader that you look at differently. And I'd love for you to elaborate on the qualities of a leader that help to unlock discretionary effort of those team members. Okay. You're right. There, there's, And what's interesting about the quality and quantity of coaching or leading is that they are absolutely inextricably linked. And when I say that, means that we have studied organizations and we haven't seen an organization that only improved the quantity of their coaching and grew in, in a grew discretionary effort. We studied organizations that only grew the quality of their coaching, but not doing more of it and grew discretionary effort a little bit. But when you put the two together, there seems to be a synergistic effect. And so here's what I mean is, so if I'm doing now more of the right things, for example, I'm doing one-on-ones every other week. I'm holding my team meetings monthly. I'm doing career development plans once a year, but reviewing them quarterly with the people on my team. I'm doing my quarterly uh, written performance feedback. Great. I'm doing all the activities with the right frequency. Here's what's interesting, though. If I suck at doing that, Nikki, and I'm doing more of it, I can actually take discretionary effort backwards. And we've seen it happen. As a matter of fact, in our research, 30% of leaders are creating zero to negative discretionary effort. In other words, their teams would produce more, sell more, become more efficient, more engaged if I didn't have a boss. That's the impact. So that's why quality is such a huge component of this. And when we talk about quality, so we measuring you you said one of the one of the terms right off the bat. So there are six qualities of coaching or leading that really tie in to growth and performance and in, in, in no specific order, but one is you talk about psychological safety. So the ability to understand the environment you're creating, the safety of that environment you're creating. Connections is one thing we measure. When we say the term connections, we're talking about creating trust relationships. And it's really interesting that, yes, we can actually measure the amount of trust you are creating with the people on your teams. Are you doing the the activities, the coaching activities, with the right consistency? The measuring the impact of those activities on the people on your team uh, measuring your ability. Now, keep in mind, this is all through the eyes of the people on teams. Your ability to grow their skill sets. And this last one is interesting. Um, we talk about it a lot in our book. It's called the catalytic factor. And what, what we say when we mean that, it is the ability of a leader to effectively challenge me and put me in a state of discomfort to create growth because growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. 
So I could be what, what basically is what's that, what that is saying is I could be a wonderful leader in terms of creating relationships. I could do a lot of these things, but if I don't challenge my people, if I don't, if I don't make them uncomfortable in a healthy way, we're not growing. So that's what that component is. So there's six of these quality measurements. I love that. So I, I like that we started with the quantities, which are the the behaviors, and then talked about, I see the qualities as how we show up. So you could do all the behaviors and not be showing up, you know, as a, as a leader and just doing them and the impact isn't going to stick just like you were sharing. And so I, I love the way that you frame that. And then I feel like through all of this, it just kept getting weaved in. And this is just a personal passion of mine. So maybe that's why it kept coming up. But I believe strongly that the relationship building technique skills practices that we have impact all of these things, right? We, in order for us to even want to embrace a catalytic factor, we've got to have that trust and respect for that leader that we're working with to even want to do that or the psychological safety that we believe and trust in this person that is leading us that we're even going to do, you know, after the call is over that one-on-one call, we're actually going to take action because, because we even care. Right. So yeah, I just feel like relationships just such the foundation that you got to reiterate with with so much that you shared on on the show. I guess I want to leave with this before we transition into our our lightning round where we get to learn a little bit more about you, Bill. If you could challenge leaders to to one thing right now, like here's the one thing that I feel like if you focus on this for the next month, next quarter, to really focus on unlocking discretionary effort and and you know ramping that up or taking that up a notch. What would that challenge that you put out to our leader listener audience be? Measure it. It's that simple. You know, you could teach all this. You could promote all this. You could try and bring this into your organization. But that's really insignificant if you're not measuring its impact. If you don't create a baseline of it, whether it's through engagement or some other way, if you don't create a baseline and understand it, you know, we promote, it's just logical, there should be a four-step process, or measure, train and educate, implement, and track. And step number one is to measure. So that what, what I would tell people is, you can talk about it all you want, which is really insignificant, because if you're not measuring it, you have no idea if it's going up, down, or sideways. Yep. That's so helpful. And before we transition, I'd love just a little bit of insight on some of your best practice, you know, clients that are doing this really well, especially getting a baseline and then having regular metrics and using tools that really help them understand that data to make better decisions and and guide all of this. What does that look like? Are there certain tools that you recommend or give us kind of the framework for, for being able to measure and get that data? Well, first of all, you're kind to ask that question. Thank you, Dickie. I appreciate that. Um, Yes, there there are. You know, we and I guess this is the time I can tell say what we do, right? So we have what we refer to as a coaching effect survey, which is really measuring and understanding the discretionary effort that is either positively or negatively created between a boss and employee relationship or between manager and team or coach and team, leader and team. So that's the measurement piece is I I first need to create a baseline. Then second of all, there needs to be training and development. How do I do these four activities? How do I do them well? So the quantity, the ability to improve the, uh, the quantity and quality of these activities through training and development, 
the third step is to implement it and whether it's through accountability partners within organizations we use what we call coaching huddles where we bring everybody together monthly and, and kind of walk through you know at this point you should be the implementation plans and then the last step is tracking it is is what impact is it having on both my team and the overall organization we utilize the coaching cloud software for that so those four steps and if there were a fifth step nikki it would be rinse and repeat so it's not that also is not yeah. rocket science but the tools within it mm -hmm. are really important so does that help and make sense following those four steps yeah, that was really helpful. It was just like, oh, we're leaving with a teaser. Like, hey, here's, you know, it's so important to measure. And it's like, okay, but how, how do we do it? You know, for many of our listeners that don't have that in place right now, just wanted a little insight and we'll make sure to, you know, share your contact information and different resources that we have in the show notes for sure. Really excited about our, our conversation today. Very energizing and um, helping us really to dive into that, that term discretionary effort and not just use the term as what we think, but really dig into what is it and how do we unlock that? Really enjoyed the conversation, Bill, and, and some great takeaways will be in our show notes today. Before we wrap up, we do our lightning round where we get to just dig in on you a little bit and learn a little bit more about um, Bill Ekstrom outside of the work that you do. So my first question for you is, um, what is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read that our leader listener audience would love to hear about? I'll give you, I'll give you two because I, I'm a kind of a fan of historical fiction in pleasure reading. And most any James Mishner novel is something I would gravitate towards. The challenges are all like 1,200, 1,300 pages long. A great recent read is Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl. And a lot of people will say, well, how does that apply to business? Everything applies to business in that book. So uh, that's another one I would recommend as well. And one of my favorite quotes comes from that as well. And then, Bill, when you're not working, uh, what's a favorite hobby? Outdoors. I fish. I hunt. I spend a lot of time in my yard, do a lot of walks. And I think my biggest one right now is I um, help train therapy dogs. And I have a therapy dog. So we do a lot of work in uh, hospitals, nursing homes, um, some athletic teams. That's a big one right now. Okay. And then how about a favorite vacation spot? Colorado. It's hard to just not be happy when you're up in the mountains in Colorado. So Estes Park, it seems to be a place we spend a lot of time in. Uh, that would be a number, uh, that would be one. And I think a second one is up in the bush in, in, in rural Canada, in northern Manitoba. Um, inevitably, once a year, we, we rent a cabin there and do some fishing and spend some time about 100 miles from the nearest road. So those are two areas I really am able to lose myself. Bill, let us know the best way to connect with you after the show. Any resources or tools that we can look for or ways to connect with you directly? Thank you for that opportunity. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn, Bill Ekstrom. I'm on Twitter. I am on Instagram. And I do, I do have a website, BillEkstrom.com, but our company website, is excelinstitute.com. Excel Institute is spelled E-C-S-E-L-L -L institute.com. So those are a bunch of ways. I love it when people connect with me. I, I respond to everybody. After I did my TED Talk, I probably had hundreds of people reaching out to me from around the world. And I'm proud to say, 
I literally responded to every single person that reached out to me. And that's fun to do. I enjoy that. Hey, Bill, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. And thanks for your inspiration and insights. Thank you, Nikki. It's a pleasure to be visiting with you. All right. And here's my truth you can act on from uh, my time today with Bill Ekstrom. All right. Number one, humanize one-on-one meetings. Don't just talk about the numbers. Take the time to cultivate relationships between you and your employee during those one-on-one meetings. We hear that a lot on this show and just a great reiteration, how much time out of that hour, 30 minutes are you spending building relationships versus getting down to the facts? Uh, Number two, make feedback a constant. Feedback should be natural, ongoing, and part of everyday routines. Written feedback is important for data, but informal feedback and checking in with employees should be an ongoing habit. Number three, challenge your employees. Challenge and push employees to a state of healthy discomfort to create growth because growth only occurs when we get uncomfortable. Maybe start by sharing Bill's TEDx talk just to stimulate that. And number four, measure impact. Create a baseline for whatever you're trying to improve and thoroughly understand it before you embark on growth. If you don't measure the impact, you have no idea if you're on track or off track. Data is everything. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.